Yeah, I, th- I think for me personally, as a scientist, I'm always looking for answers that science can tackle, that science can explain. I never say science can answer all questions. That, that would be very arrogant. Uh, and, and I think in, in all debates, one should never be 100% certain. 100% certain there's no God, 100% certain there is a God, 100% certain that your ideology is correct. We should always have room for doubt, to question, to be um, prepared to have somebody persuade us or change our minds. That's, that's what a good scientist should do. But in seeking answers to the big questions, whether it's the nature of consciousness, whether it's the meaning of life, yeah, the, these are questions that have been tackled by philosophers, by theologians, by scientists, by anybody who's thinking uh, who has a, a brain will think about these questions. So I don't say I have a better answer, but I like to use science to explain and answer questions. I don't want getting to the point where you say, we cannot explain this any further. This is down to the divine creator, it's part of God's plan. I will step back. I'm not addressing it. I'd like to be able to push how far can science be used to explain? Now, something like consciousness or the origin of life or the, the, what is different about life from inanimate matter, these are hugely important questions. But it, I want to see how far science can go in tackling them. I'm not saying science replaces all philosophy and metaphysics and religion, but I'm on the science side and I want to push it as far as I can and see what it can achieve. In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find Science Robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published Science Robotic articles where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about their research. Thanks, Science Robotics, for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. If you still have questions, maybe in science or in your life, still you're doubting about the real answer for it, maybe in science or life. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think it's quite normal for everyone to, to, to still have questions, to still have puzzles that we don't understand all the way through our lives. Um, Life would be very boring if, I, if we had all the answers. So uh, I'm, I, I feel privileged that I, there are still questions that I can ask and answers that I can look for. Mm-hmm. So maybe I want to ask you, since you have been in science communication and being in academia, what's maybe highlights about science communication besides academia? Do you think there's a difference or something interesting here? They are different. And of course, not all active academics, research scientists would be good or natural science communicators. Uh, Likewise, there are many people who are brilliant communicators, but who are not actively 
working in, in science, then maybe they're not doing research. For me, I've, I've always liked to do both. I've always liked to be um, a scientist who communicates rather than a scientist communicator in, in, in you know, sort of 100% of my time. So uh, I derive as much pleasure in doing the research myself and, and asking the questions and trying to figure stuff out for myself, learning something about the world. Uh, I derive as much pleasure in doing that as I do explaining what I've learned to, to a, a wider public, to an audience. Now, with that audience could be my students here at university. They could be the people who read my books. There may be people who watch my TV programs or in public lectures. So I, I feel... My philosophy has always been, if I learn something new about how the world is, how the world works, why would I not want to shout about it to anybody who would listen? Why would I want to keep it a secret to myself? So sharing, communicating the knowledge is as important to me as discovering it for myself. Mm -hmm. So you said that uh, what happened to you in the career, I think, a uh, sequence of happy accidents, as maybe it's broadcasting, and that's interesting. And I would like to ask you what may be interesting or maybe something uh, you learned so far in this journey was very interesting to you. Well, I, 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 I guess what's, what's most interesting, what I most um, remember and treasure is being able to have access to places, to, to talking to people, to, to even holding something physical that has a very important meaning in science and, and in my scientific career, uh, which I have been able to do through my TV work, for example. So traveling around the world, work, making a documentary for the BBC has allowed me to have access to some incredible things that I would never have had the chance to see. You know, whether it's Isaac Newton's notebook, whether it's uh, uh, Galileo's lecture pulpit, whether it's um, at some ancient observatory on top of a mountain in northern Iran. You know, th these are wonderful moments and powerful uh, um, memories that I have, thanks to my work in broadcasting and in, 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 uh, uh, in working for the BBC in particular, that I don't think I'd ever have had the opportunity to see otherwise. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you, since you've been in academia and also this other side, what really differentiate both of them? Do you think there's something maybe missing in academia? Because I think being what you're doing, I think it's very interesting. Do you think this difference is still me being in academia and what you're doing, podcasting? Do you think what is missing here? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're different worlds, really. You know, in, in academia, there's a... There's a uh, we have certain responsibilities and certain things we have to do. We have to teach undergraduate students. We develop our own research. We have, if we're lucky, we have funding to do, carry out a research program with colleagues, with uh, research staff. We publish papers. We go to conferences. There's a whole machinery in the academic world that we are part of in order to advance knowledge and to share that knowledge with, with the next generation uh, of, of uh, scientists, engineers, and so on in, in, in my um, area. Working in public life as a communicator, is, is, is there's a different motivation there. There it's to try and explain, justify what we do in academia, justify why the public should pay taxes to support our research, 
but also to try and ensure the wider society has some level of scientific literacy. And we, we, we know that how important that is. It's not just because the, 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 the people in, you know, out in wider society are fascinated by black holes right? or, or some, something exotic. It's because it's necessary that people understand how science works. Uh, we've, this, we've known that during the last two years of the pandemic. It's been important for people to learn the process of science, how we never know something for sure, how we should be able to change our minds when we gather more information. So there's a different motivation for, for communicating science compared with the life as an academic. And I, I enjoy both. But sometimes when I, uh, I'm talking to someone, say, from the media from, or from television, but then at the same time, I'm talking to someone from the academic world. I realize that they they almost speak different languages. <laughs> so I so I feel lucky that I can I can wear both hats that I can jump from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to ask you maybe what are bigger questions, maybe not touch it, maybe in academia or also broadcasting, because sometimes there's controversy. People don't like this kind of question in science. Do you have any encounterment like this question may be controversial and not touch it? maybe an academic community or broadcasting, or if you have encountered also criticism about it? I've tried to be careful. Um, as academics, we learn not to uh, have opinions or make strong statements about subjects outside of our specialism. You know, so it, very often academic will, for, for the wider public, they think, well, look, you're a scientist. Surely you can answer this question. And they will say, no, no, that's not my area. I don't feel confident to say something. As a science communicator, I've learned to be a bit more relaxed about that because, you know, the, the level that people want some understanding, I'm probably able to explain it. But absolutely, there are issues which I, I don't, no, I don't feel comfortable. I just don't, I don't feel I can add something to, you know, the, the, um, issues science versus religion for example um or or debates currently in in uh, on on social media you know there, there are very passionate debates whether it's you know certainly here in the uk for example whether it's issues about anti-semitism whether it's issues about the about the trans debate um these are very polarizing uh, um ideologies Each side believes passionately that they are 100% correct. And as a scientist, I am trained to say, well, nothing is 100%. And when you have these sorts of debates, what you really need to say is, well, you know, you have a good point, but you also have a, a valid point. The truth is some combination. But that doesn't seem to be allowed these days in, in public discourse. Everything's very polarized. So on those sorts of issues where I think if I say something, it'll be neither side will be satisfied and therefore both sides might attack me. So it's best if I stay quiet. Now, maybe that's, maybe I should have more courage to, 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 to speak out, but I tend to avoid controversy if, if possible, just because I want an easier life. <laughs> I want to more, I don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> there's something you're afraid of in that case, because I think, yeah, you mentioned there's valid point about people maybe polarized about certain topics. Is there something you're afraid of in that process that when you prepare for maybe interviewing or podcasting, podcasters, whatever, is there something you're afraid of when you consider what are you trying to explain? Or 
not not so much these days. I think I'm I'm because I've been doing I've been communicating science for many years now. Well, probably you know. 25 years or longer, nearly 30 years now, you know, I, I, I had a traditional academic training, you know, PhD and then research and then a young lecturer. But at some point earlier in my career, I started doing science communication. So over these years, I have learned not to make the mistake of saying something that I regret afterwards, you know, being careful about what I say and how I say it, being respectful of the audience that I'm talking to as something that I that I, I hope comes automatically to me now so I tend not to be nervous when when interviewers say you know is there anything you don't want to talk about I say look just let's see you know just ask me what you like if I feel uncomfortable I will tell you but I'm I'm usually quite good now my my wife used to be very um critical she said why did you talk about this why did you say that you know, so I now all, all, all I have my wife's voice in my head saying, "Be careful what you say about this." So yeah, it, it I tend to be more careful these days, so the the, the problems don't usually come up. I, um, I want to ask you this question, but I think it's very interesting about your views about uh, life and evolution, and I think it has a re- relationship maybe with if there was a God. I know you have been asked this question many times, but I want to be brief here. When we see that robots, because soft robotics, and I saw when you interview that if we can do, like, for example, computer with consciousness, and you say, why not if we change with different biological material, then I think that's very interesting in soft robotics, using material with consciousness, etc. When you look for inspiration, my question is inspiration, when we try to find an answer for certain things in life, and I totally respect your point of view that you don't believe in, or don't have a strong belief that there's supernatural creator that can do this. Can you read more your views? Because I think it's very interesting to more in-depth and answer for what we have in evolution. Yeah, I, th- I think for me personally, as a scientist, I'm always looking for answers that science can tackle, that science can explain. I never say science can answer all questions. That, that would be very arrogant. Uh, and, and I think in, in all debates, one should never be 100% certain. 100% certain there's no God, 100% certain there is a God, 100% certain that your ideology is correct. We should always have room for doubt, to question, to be um, prepared to have somebody persuade us or change our minds. That's, that's what a good scientist should do. But in seeking answers to the big questions, whether it's the nature of consciousness, whether it's the meaning of life, yeah, the, these are questions that have been tackled by philosophers, by theologians, by scientists, by anybody who's thinking, uh, who has a, a brain, will think about these questions. So I don't say I have a better answer, but I like to use science to explain and answer questions. I don't want getting to the point where you say, we cannot explain this any further. This is down to the divine creator. It's part of God's plan. I will step back. I'm not addressing it. I'd like to be able to push how far can science be used to explain? Now, something like consciousness or the origin of life or the, the, what is different about life from inanimate matter, these are hugely important questions. But it, I want to see how far science can go in tackling them. I'm not saying science replaces all philosophy and metaphysics and religion, but 
I'm on the science side and I want to push it as far as I can and see what it can achieve. Great. Maybe I want to ask you in this journey, is there something topics maybe in physics or science was maybe surprising? And when you try to do the research and explaining or simplifying to general public, it was quite surprising for you. I'm not convincing still. Do you have this moment that, yeah, I'm not really convinced about this answer or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I mean, that's the wonderful thing about science, that usually in other um, walks of life and other ideologies, people tend to be very certain about their view or they feel very unshakable in their, in their, uh, their viewpoint. And so difficult to, you know, to persuade them otherwise, whether it's your politics or whether it's your faith or whether it's what football team you support, you know, you are, this is, I'm, you're not going to persuade me otherwise. In science, we have to, we are trained not to think that way. We're trained to think that uh, I have a theory or hypothesis or mathematical equation, which I think is right, but maybe it's wrong. And I should be prepared to change my mind if some new evidence comes about. So I always say in science, admitting that we are wrong is a strength not a weakness. In many other areas of human interaction, admitting your mistakes is seen as a weakness. Politicians will never admit that they make a mistake, right? That this is, you know, a good politician is someone who's very firm and strong in their belief. They never change their mind. If, if scientists never changed their mind or never admitted their mistakes, we would never make progress. We would still be thinking the same way as the ancient Greeks probably thought. So you, you have to change your attitude. You have to never have certainty about something. Otherwise, you would never progress. So always in my life, whether it's doing my research in quantum mechanics, whether it's explaining something that I think I understand in any area of science, or even I try in other outside of my work in daily life. If I'm having a debate or argument with somebody, I try, I try to go against the automatic human nature and listen to them and say, well, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe what I think is wrong and, and I should be prepared to listen and change my mind because that's what science teaches us to do. Maybe there's a question from the audience asking about why popular are more famous than scientists. I mean, one, one of my ambitions as a science communicator was to have science to be embedded in popular culture that we should talk about, you know, uh, astronomy or genetics or, or some, some, you know, some new discovery in the same way we talk about football or music or, or culture, arts, literature. It should be part of our conversation. Um, not everyone wants to spend, you know, most of us have, you know, most people have difficult lives, difficult challenges. You, you know, you have to work, you have to look after your family, you have to you have all these other problems we don't have time to have the deep thoughts about quantum mechanics or Einstein. We don't have the training. We don't have. So for most people, what we want to do that gives, make, makes us passionate, that, that, that uh, takes us away from our daily uh, problems and challenges are things like music or football, you know, or other, other sports. So I think that's absolutely fine. You know, I, I'm passionate about football. And I'm passionate about science. I can I can have both passions running in parallel. I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, great. 
So I listened to your episode, uh, I think, uh, in the Life Scientific podcast about the, the fall of dinosaur and rise of mammal. I think it was very interesting, especially in soft robotics. There is an inspiration here. But I want to ask you in the question of the mind-body problem, for example, consciousness. What does it take to answer this question? You mentioned that there's no magic here. and But I want to ask you, what does it take to ask or maybe answer this question? Do you think, what is maybe the steps needed to answer this question? I, I think this, um, the, the initial steps are being taken, have been taken in computer science, in psychology, all, and, and in philosophy. I don't think it's you know, a physicist like me that's going to answer the, uh, the question of the nature of consciousness, that you know, what, is the, what is the difference between something that is self-aware and something that isn't. Um, I have my views on it, but having a view on something is... <laughs> Is, is opinion it's not that's not science but I've never from talking to computer scientists philosophers uh, neuroscientists psychologists I have not been persuaded of an argument that says this is not solvable I I, I think we are very very long way from developing a a, a, a computer a robot or any artificial intelligence that is self-aware at the moment, you know, we have AIs that are very, we say they're very clever, but they're not clever, they're dumb. You know, they're just following instructions. You know, when you say, if I say S-I-R-I, if I say the word, my phone will say, yes, what do you want? So I won't say, hey. <laughs> but, you know, things like that, and uh, 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 Alexa on, on Google, when you ask them questions and they ask you, it's not clever. It doesn't understand what it's what it's doing. So we're a long way from being able to have AIs that are, are conscious. We're a long way from understanding the mind-body problem. But I think it's a problem that we can understand. You, you mentioned in, in, in asking your question, you're right. I don't believe that the human brain is uh, other something other than the sum of its parts. Now they, they fit together in a very, the human brain is the most complex system in the universe, uh, but it's made of atoms and, and they interact via forces and fields according to the laws of physics and chemistry. We don't have a complex system and then we sprinkle the magic dust and, and life is, is formed. So in my view, consciousness should be understandable. Now we may be a very long way from it, uh, but I, I, I have not yet been persuaded that artificial general intelligence sh shouldn't be possible in, in, uh, in one way or another. I want to ask you if there's something you disagree with the way maybe discussing certain topics in science, maybe in general perspective. Do you, you have different views or disagreement the way you approach maybe answering certain question? Yeah, I think disagreements happen all the time in science. I, there's a, a colleague of mine, uh, a, a very prominent physicist uh, called Michael Berry, who, who's a very, very senior physicist. I, he should have probably won a Nobel Prize in physics. He's made some big, big advances. But he, he told me a, a very simple and beautiful definition of how scientists behave. You say, unlike in, in other areas of life, for example, politics or whatever, Scientists disagree without being disagreeable. That we can argue all the time about who is right and who is wrong, but that's 
a perfectly normal part of the scientific process. We don't shout, we don't get, well, okay, we may get angry. You know, if I, if I have a theory and I've published my papers and, and, uh, and I believe my theory is correct and then someone tells me my theory is rubbish, yeah, I probably would, wouldn't be happy about it. But in general, we have to be able to disagree. If, if, again, it's like not admitting mistakes. If we never disagreed with each other, we would never make progress. So it's healthy to disagree within science because disagreement leads to new ideas. New ideas, we hope, are better, are closer to, to the truth of how the world is. So we have to disagree all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to ask you, first of all, congratulations for your upcoming book, Joy of Science. But I want to ask you, when it comes to broadcasting and writing, is there something different? I don't know, but for me, I'm not a good writer, so I want to ask you what different like, between audio medium and writing. Uh, I know it's in academia, you have to write, but uh, is there something you feel this this intimate connection with people listening? And I think it's, yeah, I don't know if there's difference between writing and using audio medium here. I, I think there is. I think there is a big difference. I think um, w w in, in broadcasting, whether it's a TV or radio or podcasts, or indeed even in, in public lectures that I give, you have an audience that, and there's an immediacy about it. So you're, you are responding to the audience. You may be asking a question or you may be explaining something that you can immediately see their response to it. You know, you, people will, you know, you'll know whether they've understood something or not. So, so you're even, even if it's prepared, even if it's a prepared script for radio or TV, you you have your audience already there that you talk looking through the camera lens you're imagining somebody sitting there listening to you even if it's not live obviously but with writing it's different with writing i'm in complete control i i spend my time thinking about how do i explain this concept what is a good example here what words should i use so it's, it's a creative process that I'm in control of in terms of the time and effort I put in. And I think probably if I'm honest, that's what I enjoy the most. I'm my own boss when it's writing. And I certainly prefer to write my popular science books uh, uh, over writing technical papers. Research papers, you know, we have to do it as, as scientists, but you have to follow certain... Uh, uh, norms and, 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 and traditions of how the phrases we use, the structure, the format of a technical paper has to follow some rules. With popular science writing, I make up those rules. I decide, should I put a diagram here? Should I explain this idea in two, three pages? Or should I say, this is very complicated, I won't bother? You know, so for me, writing, the creative process of writing is the most pleasurable because I'm in more control of it than any other medium. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to ask you, there's any other things maybe in science communication need more focus or attention. Do you think maybe, I think it's related to being the, maybe sometimes for myself, but sometimes I feel like bored or how I can recreate myself, for example. And I want to ask you, since you have this huge experience, how do you make sure the topics maybe meet the test of the general public? Is it certain topics or the way you, you try to simplify maybe some wisdom here, how, how we make sure it's entertaining all the time? 
Well, I mean, I've been I've been lucky, certainly with broadcasting, with my TV documentaries and my radio um, programs. I'm not working alone, so I'm not making those decisions. So I'm working with directors and producers who are very talented, who also have their views about what would be good, what would what would be the best way to explain something. So in TV, for example, it's very different from giving a lecture. You have to tell a story. It has to be entertaining as well as educational. You can't hit people with lots of hard, hard science for one hour. You've got to give them an idea, then allow it to, you know, so, so there's some... The, the, the rhythm of the programme is something that has to be carefully developed. And that isn't my job. That's the job of the, the, the producer, the director, the editor of the programme. Um, with the radio programmes, the script that I write when I'm interviewing other scientists, I'm working together with a radio producer. So they also have their, their, their views. So it's not, you know, down, down, just down to me. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, with my writing, that's just me. Yes, I, I may send my uh, draft script to my book editor they can read it they can give me feedback but actually it's my it's it's my own I'm in control of it so I don't think there's any magic lesson about what to pick what is the interesting subject it, it's a collaborative process uh, and and it does depend on who the audience is that we're aiming at you the most important thing in science communication is to have empathy with your intended audience. It's no good me talking about cosmology or quantum mechanics to primary school children. Uh, the, it, you know, if I'm talking about the, the history of science in the Islamic world, then I know people from the Islamic world, from the Arabic speaking world, are going to be much more interested in it than people in the West. Um, and so it's knowing your audience, the TV stuff that I do, we do it for a particular channel on the BBC. I have a good idea who those viewers are. In general, what is their level of education? What is their general interest? They're people who are interested in science. Um, sometimes I'm giving talks or doing something for a much wider audience who may be not interested in science, or maybe they don't like science. Maybe they're suspicious of science. I have to then approach it in a different way. Uh, and so the, the, the skill in science communication is to be able to adjust how you present your ideas, how you speak, even how you project your own personality, depending on who you're trying to inspire or persuade or educate or entertain. Mm -hmm. So that's a close end to maybe a question. I want to ask you what makes you fulfilled, this moment of fulfillment or changing moments and what you have been doing so far? Well, fulfillment in, in my career, in my job, um, you know, it's nice when I get an award or, or, or people say, you're, you're wonderful and, you, you know, the, 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 you've done this, published this paper, you've written this great book. But I think in science, certainly in science communication, the real pleasure and fulfillment I get is when I discover that I've changed somebody's life, that I've moved their, their life in, in a direction. So sometimes you know, someone will come to me and say, uh, I listened, I watched your TV program 10 years ago when I was in school. I've now just finished my PhD in astrophysics, but I was inspired to follow that path because I watched your program. So thank you. That, that makes me not, not only proud, but it's very it's emotional. 
because I, you know, I'm, I'm doing my science communication because I enjoy it myself. I get my own pleasure. I'm not doing it because I, I'm such a great person that has to, you know, educate the world. I do it because it gives me pleasure. But when I discover I've changed someone's life in some way, then I realize that that's a very fulfilling moment for me. Uh, uh, that I know that I had some some real influence, not just somebody who's enjoyed reading my book or someone who's enjoyed watching my program, but someone whose life was changed because of something that I've done. That that that's that's really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you what kind of maybe truths you are seeking in your life, maybe answers or maybe something deep down, maybe we don't know that's worrying to you. This kind of truth you're seeking. Uh, I think it's the same questions that I'm asking now as, as the questions that I had when I was a boy. You know, what, what, what is the nature of reality? What makes me, me? If my parents hadn't met and I was never born, where would I exist? Would I ever exist? You know, so these are metaphysical questions, philosophical questions that I still think about now. But... Because of my scientific training, I have more specific, concrete questions relating to my work. You know, what is the nature of the quantum world? How do atoms behave? Uh, what does it mean if this, this system has this property? How does it change? So understanding the universe using my training in physics, uh, that those are the questions I'm asking as part of my job. But I still have exactly the same existential questions that everybody has i think you know what is what is the nature of life what is my place in the universe why are we here you know th- those are questions that my physics equations aren't going to answer and therefore i will i will be asking the questions just like ev- every other human being i guess mm-hmm, great maybe two questions left i want to ask you since i think in the podcast we had an episode about testing material recovered from UFO, ufo crashes and i think there's people who really dislike this topic so like aliens and materials sort of stuff like that do you think there's something like why general public hates sometimes talking about certain topics do you think is there a reason behind that well i i think because because they're they're mysterious and they're somehow magical you know I remember when I was a teenager, there was a, um, a magazine uh, called The Unexplained, which had all sorts of paranormal stories, whether it's telepathy, whether it's psychic, other psychic ability, whether it's UFOs, alien abductions, the Bermuda Triangle, all these, they're, they're mysterious things that some, they're, they're magical and fascinating because they're mysterious. Now, my scientific training has taught me that any one of those subjects can either be explained by our current understanding of the laws of physics, or it can't, but the evidence for it isn't very strong. So in a sense, for me, life has got a bit more boring because some of these magical things I don't believe are true, but the world is full of magical things that are true you know the the, the, uh, the I, i talk in my new book about the beauty of a rainbow uh, understanding the science of how a rainbow is formed the fact that you and i can look at this the rainbow in the sky but we're looking at different rainbows because we're looking the lights coming into our eyes comes from different drops of rain 
there's magic, there's mystery, there's, there's beauty in the real world. We don't need the, you know, the, the, the stories that's, that aren't really based on science. But I can understand why people want to have magic and mystery in the world. The world would be very boring if everything could be explained rationally and there was no magic or no mystery. Luckily, there's still lots of mysteries in the world. I don't think they're to do with aliens and UFOs, but I think the mysteries of the natural world are, are good enough for me. Maybe in retrospect, there's something you would like to change in your life. Maybe this moment, wish we change or nothing. I've been very lucky, I think, in, in, in my life. I was, I was lucky enough to meet my, my, my wife. We've been uh, married for, for, for 37 years now, nearly. So it's, yeah. um, I, I have two wonderful children who have grown up, who are happy, who are working, who have partners. Uh, my career has, yes, it's been a series of lucky accidents. Um, I'd never had a plan when I was first studying physics as a student to say, one day I'm going to be writing popular science books or making TV and radio programs. I just wanted to learn physics. So things have happened. Uh, I, things have fallen into place luckily. Maybe, maybe subconsciously I took the right decisions at the right moments in my life. But I've not had to overcome very major challenges in my life. Things have happened, you know, in, in the right way for me. So if I look back, is there anything I would change? Of course, we have to be careful. If you change one thing in your life, your path will then diverge and may be very different from where it is now. So since I'm happy and content in my, my, my place now in this, at this moment in time, I would prefer not to make any changes in the past because they may lead to a very different future for me uh, that may not be as fulfilling and as good as this one. So I should be satisfied and happy with what I have. And I am. If there is something maybe still aspire beside of what you have been done. Still you have this aspiration to achieve in your mind. Um. Well, um, I, I hope my football team, Leeds United, are, are become more successful again, like they were when I first started supporting them. That's one aspiration. Um, in, in science, my area of expertise is quantum mechanics. And, and everybody knows quantum mechanics, the theory that describes the subatomic world, uh, is very uh, counterintuitive and, and difficult to understand. Well, the mathematics is, 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 is very powerful and, and correct. You know, we, we trust it, we believe it. But we still don't understand the reasons why the quantum world behaves the way it does. So for me, if there was one hope or dream that I could have come true before I die, it's to know what is the correct interpretation of quantum mechanics. What is actually going on when this atom goes from here to here? My mathematics tells me uh, that, you know, if you have an atom here at some other point, there's a, some probability you will find it over here. But what is happening? We know we, there are, there are certain, the, the mysteries of the quantum world are things that we're still trying to understand 100 years after they were first discovered. Uh, and I'd like to think that maybe I'll, I'll never discover them, but maybe if somebody does, please, please explain it to me before, before I die. <laughs> Maybe the last question, is this advice maybe given to you with a life changing or be it something you'd like to say when it comes to advice on life, maybe if you would like to share? 
Um, I mean, I've had um, many people in uh, growing up in my life who've given me good advice about what to do. I've had some professors who were very encouraging of, of, of me in, in the path that I took. Uh, I think probably the best advice was to follow what makes me curious. You know, it, we can very easily fall into a path in our lives where we do things automatically or because we feel we should, because, you know, I need to get a job, because I need to uh, earn a, um, a living, to pay my mortgage, to support my family. And most of us have to do that. We don't have that luxury of, of going and living on an island somewhere. <laughs> um, but the, the advice that I've been given by more than one person, I should say, ha has always been that I should choose a path where I satisfy my curiosity. As a scientist, I've always been curious about how the world is. And to remain curious is very important. If we lose that, if we lose that childlike uh, wanting to have answers, if we, if we become you know, the sort of people who don't care, and not, I'm not interested in why this happens or whatever, I just wanna just get on with my life, then uh, you know, we, as a species, we'd be poorer. So the, the best advice I've been given has always been to try and stay curious, to follow, I mean, I know when people say you follow your heart, not your head, well, I'm a scientist, right? Your heart is just a muscle. It doesn't, it doesn't have emotions. But, you know, in everyday language, that sense of the meaning, following what you feel passionate about, if you can, is very important. And, and I've, I've been lucky enough, privileged enough to be able to do that. That's beautiful. Maybe, I don't know if you have any final words like to say, we'll be listening to you. Yeah, any final words, Liz? I, I guess, you know, people, a lot of people ask me, what is it that's uh, unique about being a scientist? What, what is different about being a scientist? And I say, well, we are all, as children, we're all curious. We always ask questions. Uh, most people stop asking questions when they grow up. I would encourage everyone, you don't have to be trained to be a scientist. You don't have to learn quantum physics or Einstein's relativity or robotics or whatever. Stay curious ask questions and, and, and try and have a rational explanation for what you see. Uh, and if you do that, then we're all scientists. <laughs>